the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track in your browser. Get 40% off that first year. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get exclusive ad free content at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. Happy Monday morning. My name is Mike Giannetti. I'm going to run through about a six pack of weekend updates a little bit of baseball, a little bit of football, and we'll get out of here into what will be a big NBA slash Major League Baseball preview and post-view breakdown week. Keith Smith is back on Wednesday after a bit of a hiatus, well-deserved hiatus. He's got a next contract series restarted, an extension series started on SpyTrack.com. Pascal Siakam with Toronto, one of the wildcard teams. Headed in for the NBA season here. We're going to run down a whole bunch of questions, basically team by team with Keith on Wednesday's show. And then we're going to do a third show this week, as we did last week, with that emergency Russell Wilson situation. But this time, Cousin Dan and I are going to break down all things Major League Baseball free agency, all the options, all the major free agents. I'll do a little bit of that today, by the way, because you have to. And uh, we'll really start to dive into some of these 2023 payrolls and situations and arbitration decisions and just all the, all the gamut that's going to come really quickly with baseball. There's a, a burst in November and December, and then it stops until February, and then who knows? Generally, there's a trade here or there thrown in. We'll have trade candidates. We'll have arbitration projections. We'll have payroll projections. We'll have top free agents. I'm going to run through as many numbers as possible this week in preparation for that show. So hope you guys are ready for that. I'm ready for the Major League Baseball offseason because the Mets made me be. <laughs> and. Uh, I will have that buried in the middle of this, this episode here coming up, the, uh, the turn-the-page situation for the Mets, as well as some other teams. I'm going to start with Major League Baseball's postseason, the teams that are still available in the postseason, all right? Um, three out of the four home teams lost this weekend in those three-game series. Only the Guardians survived, and they did it impressively with a massive 15-inning walk-off home run win. We've got two payrolls left that are in the 20s. The Mariners at 21, the Cleveland Guardians at 28. They are this year's version of Tampa Bay. They have been this, this version of themselves in the past. It's been a couple of years, right? 2016 was kind of their last hurrah, and they devastatingly lost to the Cubs in that World Series, but they're back. They're the hot, one of the hottest teams in baseball down the stretch, as we noted on the show. I think they're the, they're the hottest wildcard team pushing into the division series. I wouldn't put Seattle in their conversation just yet, even though they're riding their own little wave over there. So here's how it looks. The Braves are minus 185 favorites over Philly. The Dodgers are minus 210 favorites over San Diego. The Yankees minus 210 over Cleveland. And the Astros minus 220 over Seattle. I feel pretty confident (laughs) that all four of those favorites are going through. Now, does it work that way? Almost never. But in this case, those are four very, very good teams. There were, there were no accidents. Now, the Yankees tripped in July, but I think they found themselves quickly enough heading into this October situation that they are in, a, in good standing. Certainly, Judge getting over that hump helped, right? That took the psychology part away, away from this. Stanton got back healthy. He's going to mash some bombs here. And, uh, you know, if you talk about the Braves, there is no hotter team. The Dodgers, there literally is no hotter team by the numbers. And the Astros are right there with the Dodgers. So, yes, Cleveland's on a run, and it's been a hell of a good year. 
definitely out kicking their coverage. I'd say the same about Seattle, but we kind of expected them to get in. So the fact that they got in and snuck through in an unbelievable comeback fashion, that's kind of on brand for them, in my opinion. I'm not super, superly overly surprised with that. And I'd say the same about San Diego. They've been underachieving since July 12th or whatever the hell it was when they acquired Von Soto and Josh Bell and, and Josh Hader. So Soto comes through yesterday with a couple of big hits and some nice at-bats. There's a little bit of animosity. You could see that that team got charged up. Is that going to help them beat the Dodgers? I don't know. They'll have some MO to them. You know, they've got a little bit of momentum in their favor, but they're going to go into a situation that is poised, sophisticated, experienced, and deep. And I just don't know. You don't push past that, generally speaking, unless the Dodgers really just go ice cold. But if I'm betting, instead of picking an underdog, right, instead of putting all my chips into plus 1,900 for the Guardians to win this whole thing, I think I'm just running a 14 parlay on these favorites because there's really good positive. It's, it's not just they look good on paper, right? I mean, this, these teams have beaten everybody over the course of this season, Yankees included. So I'm big on chalk right now with this group. And I realize that goes very much against what we just saw in the wild card round. But I think there's a reason these four teams are here. And uh, I, I, I expect this to be a fairly clean divisional series in both the American League and the National League. Uh, we talked home runs last time with Dan and uh, kind of shot ourselves in the foot, right? Because we talked about how the home run may not win the, win the day here, right? People, teams wouldn't be relying on the home run. And quite frankly, the Padres didn't yesterday to win. They did in game one. The Mets did in game two. Yesterday was more about just putting together some hits. The Guardians won on a walk-off. The Guardians won game one on a two-run home run. <laughs> so... You know, and certainly the Philly and uh, St. Louis series was, was load, loaded with power as well as the Toronto-Seattle series. So there were home runs everywhere. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a fast one here. And I'm going to talk about pitching against the home run for this divisional series. So I quickly ran those numbers with the eight remaining teams. By far, the Mariners are the worst at this. They were seventh worst in all of baseball in terms of pitching, giving up home runs. So right off the bat, that's good news for Jordan Alvarez, and, right? And uh, maybe Altuve and certainly Bregman, you know, and those guys of the world, Kyle, Kyle Tuckers. There's going to be some, some balls sitting there, you know, low and in to be hit out of the ballpark because that's just what the, Cleveland, the Seattle staff has done. Now, that staff is rolling right now. They look great. Robbie Ray got banged up a little bit. Castillo's at an all-time high throughout his career. He looks as good as he's ever looked right now. So maybe there's a little bit to that, but to tell me you're the seventh worst team in this over a 162-game stretch, that's just who you are, especially over a longer series against the same team that can do a lot of homework and a lot of research on you from a pitch-to-pitch standpoint. So that's advantage Houston right out of the gate and probably one of the reasons why they're minus 220 to everybody else's minus 210, essentially. The Padres and Guardians pitchers are right about the middle of the pack. So they give them up but not with any kind of regularity that should stand out like Seattle's does. And then quite honestly, and this doesn't surprise me, and shouldn't surprise anybody, all five other teams are in the late 20s with this. Um, Yankees are 24th, Dodgers are 25th, Phillies are 26th, Braves are 27th, and the Astros are 29th. So you've got an Astros-Mariners series where the second best pitching staff against home runs is going against the seventh worst pitching staff against home runs. 
massive advantage Houston there. So, uh, like I said, I just kind of tossed last week's conversation on its head. And I do think it's interesting. And if, if that helps you gauge a betting stance, then good for you. Because, again, it's getting colder. I don't think balls are going to continue to fly out with this kind of regularity. But if you're looking at DraftKings Sportsbook and you're trying to figure out who's going to have the most from home runs, you know, why not stand against Cleveland? Sure. Hell yeah. Cleveland's got great pitching. But Cleveland's going to give up runs. There's no question about this. Um, the Dodgers are going to hit home runs. That we've shown that we've seen that before. And by God, the Braves are going to hit home runs. They're going to. It's how they single-handedly deflated the Mets. It's how they single-handedly won their World Series last year. And it wasn't necessarily the the big bats in the lineup doing it. So are the Phillies. That's what they're built on. Whether it's Harper, whether it's Schwarber, whether it's Castellanos. That's literally what their GM, Dave Dombrowski, sat down and said, we're going to do this year, is we're going to sacrifice some arm situations to add more home runs to this roster. And it's one of the reasons they weren't as good as they should have been, because they just didn't have the rotation slash bullpen down the stretch. And it's also the reason they're in the ALD or the NLDS right now, because they can mash the ball out of the park with regularity. So I hate to say it, but I understand it from a number standpoint. These teams are here because they hit them and they, give, and they don't give them up with regularity for the most part. So to me, it's disadvantaged Mariners, massive advantage Houston right now. And that Braves Philly series should be some kind of home run fest based on how all of these numbers bear out. All right, let's flip the switch to the NFL just a little bit. We saw week, most of the week five action finish up here. One game to go tonight, that's Kansas City and the Raiders and a very important game. The, the Chiefs have to prove at least to themselves or maybe to the national media, that they are worthy of being in this conversation with the Bills who looked outstanding. I'm going to talk Bills here in a second, something I haven't done in a few weeks. Certainly seems like the right time to do that. Um, I'm going to talk Justin Tucker first. When you have Justin Tucker, these other decisions that Harbaugh and this offensive staff have made, not just this year, and I know this year's in the spotlight, especially against that Bills, the Bills game and the Dolphins game before that, but you've had this guy now for a very long time. In fact, longer than I even remembered when I was sitting here to do some research on this this morning. This guy was an undrafted free agent in 2012. I mean, he was in the Hall of Fame four years ago, let alone what he's doing now. The PAT percentages are ridiculous. Ridiculous. In fact, right now, he's at his all-time low in that regard, which makes sense. He's been doing this for a long time. And there's been some nasty weather in these Baltimore games. He's 100% on field goals this year. He's a 91% field goal kicker for his 12-year career. 10-year career, excuse me, 10-year career. He's got something like 60 straight field goals, either in the fourth quarter or overtime. He's the most clutch kicker ever in the history of the game. And you've paid him accordingly more than a couple of times. He's on contract number six right now in Baltimore. So it's not like this guy just snuck up on you, right? What I don't understand is, have we gone this far down the analytics path that even this guy gets swept under the rug? This is the guy, and it's, it's maybe a one-of-one one situation, but this is the guy where you have to look at the numbers on fourth and one or fourth and two or where are we in the field, 
do we need field position? Should we be playing for field position versus do we should we be, you know, thinking about the deep shot here or, or unlocking Lamar? All those decisions have to be wrapped around the blanket that is, oh, by the way, we have Justin Tucker, okay? And I'm not sure that's built into the software just yet, you know? And if it is, it is, and they're just ignoring it, then I guess I can't say anything out loud about it because that's an internal team with a lot of people, men and women, being paid a lot of money to crunch these numbers and then make those end decisions. But it seems to me like Justin Tucker has been forgotten about by his own franchise. Not last night. They did everything right last night. Almost. They put themselves in a position where he could win the game. Not Lamar Jackson. And by the way, this is not an anti-Lamar Jackson take. Lamar Jackson is going to, has and is going to win a lot of games on his own. Put the team on his shoulders and go. I realize the first month of the season here, it's not a great look for that. But you don't have to do that with regularity when you have Justin Tucker. Have we learned anything from the Vinatieri Brady years? I mean, you had Brady. And by the way, Brady was the one at the goal line going in himself. Fourth and one, anywhere on the field, quarterback sneak. Even with that in mind, they were thinking Vinatieri in New England. And they did it in Indy with, during the Peyton years. Great, great quarterbacks who could easily win you ball games at any step of the situation. But when you've got that kicker, that's what we're playing for. We're using our great quarterback to get our great kicker in the right spot to make the game-winning kick. Baltimore needs to be thinking like this every single week. This guy is A++++, and he's done nothing to show you that he's, doing, that he's going to decline right now. He's 32 years old, almost 33 years old. Whatever when you're a kicker. We got 40-year-olds right now still going in the NFC Championship game in Robbie Gold, right? If you're good, you're good. And yes, there's going to be some declines. And hell, yeah, they're all going to miss them every now and then. But I saw a tweet this morning from Michael Lopez via Next Gen Stats. And this stuff, I geek out on this stuff. So I'm just going to translate it for you word for word. They ran the Next Gen numbers on what the exact middle of the field is from a, de- from a width perspective, right? The, the X-coordinate, Y-coordinate situation. The exact middle of the field is 26.67 feet, or from a coordinate standpoint, right? 26.67. Justin Tucker's kick went 26.52 yesterday across the width of the field. (laughs) And Lopez's comment to this was, if the uprights were a half of a yard wide, the kick still would have been good. That's how precision he was from 58 yards to win the game yesterday. And that's not new. How many times have you watched a kick from him go through the uprights and it seems like it is absolutely right down the middle? There's now math to prove that it is <laughs> because last night in a very pressure situation, not only did they, did they go to him, but he delivered with almost no pressure right down the middle. So I geek out on this stuff. Um, he's a $40 million player, which is hard to do as a kicker. He's got a contract through 2027. They just re-upped him for cap purposes and for football purposes this year. He's got another 10 or so million guaranteed, 11 or so million guaranteed. So he's going to add, he's going to be over the 50 million mark by 2024 when his guarantees sort of run out. The, the high bar on kicker pay right now is 53 and change. That's Sebastian Janikowski. And Vinatieri's at 51 1. 
So when the guarantees run out over the next couple of years on Tucker's contract, he's going to be staring these numbers down the face. You got to think at age 35, 36, he's still going to be available at least right 90%, 85% of what he is right now. I have to think there's at least, if it's not a multi-year contract, right, a consecutive two, three-year run of near-minimum contracts that put him over that edge. So at some point in time over the next three years, he's going to be the highest-paid kicker in the history of football. And that's, that's the long answer to where I was going, but deservedly so. As I said, he's already in the Hall of Fame right now. And I don't think Baltimore, Baltimore's game management has done him justice. So I'm glad he got his due last night. But if I'm a Ravens fan or if I'm an internal right analytics person inside the Ravens situation right now, I'm going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, yes, we have Lamar and he's a unicorn and we should be creative with his process. And I understand the money part of it. And will he be here in 18 months? Yeah, that's all. I get where you're going with that. You may have to change course soon, but not with this guy. In fact, it's even more reason that, to bring Justin Tucker into this situation. He is a model of consistency for a unit that is constantly swapping out running backs, is constantly swapping out wide receivers, doesn't even have a true wide receiver, right? Have, has to build through the tight end in Mark Andrews. So they're already doing everything else unconventionally, not to mention the way that Lamar plays football. But not this guy. This guy's as traditional and old school as there is and reliable. And I, I just think at the end of the day, it should be three and a half quarters about getting themselves to a situation where they're, if they're not handedly in the lead, it's about focusing on make, and allowing you to put yourself in a situation where Justin Tucker can win you the ball game. Why not? We saw the Colts and Patriots do it for years. Baltimore should be doing it now too. Okay, I mentioned I was going to talk Bills. Let's talk Bills. The uh, shellacking of the Pittsburgh Steelers happened about five miles from my house. That's about as good as you're supposed to look with an underutilized, undermanned staff. Gabe Davis broke out, as I said on Twitter, for like the 97th time. I think we, we all knew this was coming, especially the fantasy owners, right, who were drafting him higher than I think a lot of people wanted them to be. He is who he is when he's healthy. He's, he's a 1A, and he and Stefan Diggs put on a show yesterday. Certainly, Josh Allen was the catalyst for much of that. The Bills finally scored a touchdown that didn't include Josh Allen yesterday when James Cook ran the ball in for his first NFL touchdown. He'll be a part of this conversation in a second here. It, I don't want to sit here and gawk over how good, how good the Bills look because Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh right now. And Pittsburgh without TJ Watt and a banged up Minka Fitzpatrick, that's just not a team that's going to win any ball games. maybe. I mean, that might be, this might be the worst record team in football come January. And I'm not sure that's the worst thing in the world. What they need to do, and I'm a believer in this. Now, should Kenny Pickett have made his first start against the Bills? Probably not. <laughs> I think there's probably better teams you could have identified that for, but um, it is now about putting Kenny Pickett through the test. And not everybody can handle it, right? Some guys need to sit and, and learn and understand and maybe develop their physicality a little bit more. That's not going to happen here with Mike Tomlin. Um, Kenny Pickett's going to get a chance to prove that he is at least worthy of two, three years in this position. Because if not, Pittsburgh may have a legitimate chance at C.J. Stroud next year, number one, or Bryce Young or the Kentucky kid or whoever's coming out here. The four or five quarterbacks are going to be legitimately first pick options or first round options next year. And it sure looks like Pittsburgh's going to be sitting there with a chance to take one. And if they have a guy, if Kenny Pickett's going to be their guy, that means they can either trade and really, really ramp up their assets or 
you know, take an impact defensive player, take an impact offensive tackle. My goodness, do they need something there? So it's about where, how are we going to utilize our potentially high draft pick next year? And is it a quarterback or is it not a quarterback? To me, that's where Pittsburgh's heading. In terms of the Bills, I'm also thinking about the future. I'm also thinking about 2023 because we see this Bills team on the field and we think, my God, they look like they, they can run through everybody and they're going to be tested next week in Kansas City. They've got Green Bay after that. They've got Cleveland in, in, the, in, the, in the Jets heading them. And then there's a Thanksgiving game in Detroit. So it's, a, you know, it's going to be a tough schedule all the way through here for the most part. That's what happens when you go to the, you know, the AFC Divisional Series, essentially, and lose to the Chiefs. You, your schedule ramps up. The more you win, the harder your schedule becomes. So I, I think they're going to be tested more and more. They're doing this without Tredavious White. They've been doing this without defensive tackles, offensive linemen. No Jordan Poyer again this week. Obviously, no Micah Hyde. He's out with the neck injury. There's a lot of holes here. A lot. You know, Gabe Davis missed some time. No Dawson Knox. They were using second and third tight ends all day yesterday, and they were factors all day yesterday. So my point is they're deep. (laughs) Clearly they're deep. And some of the draft picks that they made just this past year are making major impacts, including Shakir, the wide receiver, the fifth rounder, Elam, the first round cornerback, who's been stepping in for White very, very admirably. You haven't heard much about him. He got his first pick, but you haven't heard much about him, which is a good thing when you're a shutdown corner. That's what you want. You want to be on an island. Nobody's talking about you because you're just doing your job and teams aren't throwing your way all that often. So that's good news. Again, they're going to be even deeper when some of these injuries come back. And there may be a a trade deadline movement here or there as well, because I don't think Brandon Bean likes to sit on his hands an awful lot here. And there's a lot of consistency on this roster. Maybe you shake things up just a little bit in November right before the going gets good and you need to make that stretch run. Let's talk about 2023 though. If I look at the 25 expected starters on this team, right? So that includes Tredavious, that includes Poyer, right? I'm not going on a snapshot look here where we had some injuries. I'm talking about the 25 players, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, and the three special teamers, kicker, punter, long snapper, that should be the expected starting lineup for this, this Bills team. Only four of them do not have a contract in 2023. Left guard, Roger Saffold, running back, Devin Singletary, inside linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds, and Jordan Poyer, the safety, the free safety. That's it. Everybody else has some semblance of a salary next year, whether or not it's, it's you know, savable, keepable, restructurable, extendable, different stories. But Brandon Bean can basically run back 21 out of 25 players right now without doing anything. So let's talk about the positions I just gave you because. I didn't say quarterback. I didn't say wide receiver. I didn't say edge rusher, right? I didn't say cornerback. I said left guard, running back, inside linebacker, free safety. There's a very, very common theme there. And that theme is twofold. All of those positions are A, replaceable, free agency, draft, maybe a trade, and or extendable without breaking the bank, right? You're not going to blow up your salary cap if you have to extend Jordan Poyer. You're not going to blow up your salary cap if you have to extend Devin Singletary. Now, Tremaine Edmonds is a bit of a wild card here, and I want to focus on him just a little bit. Number one, the off-ball linebacker market is now $20 million a year, right? That's Fred Warner, Darius Leonard, some of these guys that have broken that, that model. And Rokon Smith's going to break it again here soon, somewhere. Probably not in Chicago, but somewhere he's going to break that model. 
should Tremaine Edmonds be in that conversation? I can tell you right now, locally speaking, and, and on the national level to some degree too, Tremaine Edmonds has passed every test inside the locker room and every test in the community and every test in the workout room. And he's failed the eye test for four years, right? I, he's been that one player that Bills fans, national media, analytics people, take, walk away from Bills game saying, man, that guy really missed a couple of bad tackles. Or man, he was in the wrong spot from a cover spot. Something. Most games, the takeaway was, He's just not there. He just doesn't have it. And now, with the fifth-year option under his belt and free agency heading, you know, months from free agency, he's now passing that eye test. He was one of the most explosive players two weeks ago, one of the most explosive players again this week. He's just figured it out. And maybe that's a Leslie Frazier thing systematically. Maybe it's just him. He just needed that kind of, those reps, right? You know, maybe, maybe having a player like Von Miller in front of him has really changed things for him, you know, and, and there's been consistency with Milano to his left, some consistency with from Epineza, who's sort of coming into his own, right? I, whatever it is, he's now the whole package, Tremaine Edmonds. Is that sustainable for 17 weeks? I, I can't project that. But what I can tell you is, I don't think there was a chance he was getting a new contract in Buffalo five weeks ago to start the season. Now they're looking at this with question marks. There's no question about it. And do I think he's a $20 million player? No. Do I think another team will pay him $20 million? No, I don't. I don't think there are many teams that are in the right frame of mind to pay an off-ball linebacker in free agency, top of the market money. There may be a team sitting out there, and the Rams may be one of them, that they feel like that's what they need to ramp up their defensive you know, interior to get themselves to that next level, yada, 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 right? Everybody wants to look a lot like Dallas and San Francisco and, and those kind of defenses right now. But I don't think that there's going to be a huge market to overpay this guy. So what happens? To me, the biggest option for Brandon Bean and the Bills is the transition tag. He's not a franchise tag candidate because he's a linebacker. And in this iteration of the CBA again, a linebacker is a linebacker, whether it's you're an edge rusher, right? You're a Bosa who's coming off the edge, or you are an interior off-ball linebacker that doesn't rush the quarterback. He's more of a coverage tackle guy. Their franchise tag price is all the same, and it's way too much for Edmund. But the transition tag is a little bit different. It should be right around where his market value lives, which is around the $14 million per year mark. I think it's an option. I think it's a good option for the Bills. Now, there's no, there's no you know, salary cap flexibility, so that's a tough pill for the Bills to swallow if that's the, the route they want to go here. But it also doesn't lock them in past 2023. Yes, we need to see this guy one more year. It certainly looks like he's turned a corner now, and if he remains this way, maybe it's a slam dunk. You just give him a multi-year guarantee. But if not, if there's any kind of concern that is this just an anomaly situation or what happens if Leslie Fraser gets a head coaching job next year? Does he regress back to 2016 or 2018, 2019 Tremaine Edmonds? If that's where your mindset is, then I think a one-year transition tag in the, in the 15 million range makes a hell of a lot of sense. So that's where my initial remark would be for Tremaine Edmonds' future. Otherwise, you're going to have to get the Brandon Bean discount from him. And right now, my, in my head, that's about 13 million a year. What 13 million represents is a cap adjusted version of Matt Milano's contract. Milano took a little less to stay. It's about 10 and a half million per year. 
That was, you know, on last year's salary cap. The salary cap jumped to 208 this year. We project about 218 next year. So you take the six or seven percent of what that is, 13 million a year, maybe two of those guaranteed. So two for 26 around that. Is that acceptable for Tremaine Edmonds? I can't tell you. Does he want to be here? Probably. And that should help. Winning helps with finances. There's no question about it. But I think my number one projection for Tremaine Edmonds right now in this roster is a transition tag. Now, yes, you can throw in an offer on that. Maybe it happens. Maybe somebody throws in an offer, offer sheet on a transition tag for Tremaine Edmonds and Buffalo has to decide whether to match it or not. Again, I don't know if that's the worst situation either at all. You know, I mean, the Bears did that to Ryan Bates. The Bills matched it. They've got their starting, you know, one of their starting offensive linemen. So to me, it, it, it kind of hits all the bullet points of where you want to be heading right now. And again, I can't mathematically in my projection tool add intangibles. And I'm telling you right now, he's, he's now maybe four and a half, for four and a half years, he maybe has brought the most intangibles to this Bills roster outside of Allen, McDermott, and a few others. But I can't calculate that mathematically. What I can calculate is a guy that seems to have figured it out. And, I know, and in knowing the intangibles exist behind that, I think a transition tag is a, it's a tough offer because it's basically not, you know, it's a lack of confidence from your front office. But I think if it's acceptable, that's the route I would go. A couple of notes on Jordan Poyer. Obviously, we know he restructured a building some incentives. It looks like he's going to hit a lot of those if he can get back on the field. He's basically leading the league in interceptions right now. Um, he doesn't have his compadre and Micah Hyde for the rest of the year, so he's going to be out there with some youngsters. He's going to do just fine. And he's a guy that is playing for money right now. He's 31 going on 32. He is, does have an expiring contract. What's it going to take? Because the safety market has exploded, as we expected. You know, this thing, we knew this thing was going $18 million a year when Jamal Adams got traded and yada, yada. That's where it is, right? And Harrison Smith somehow locked in $16 million a year as a 32-year-old Minnesota Vikings player. That's kind of an anomaly with these calculations. We're just throwing that one out because we don't know what the hell happened there. Jordan Poyer is not a $16 million per year player at age 32. And he's certainly not one as a Buffalo Bill. We know that Brandon Bean isn't going to overextend himself for any one player. And by the way, not even Josh Allen, because now that contract looks ridiculous right now. So, so what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a Drew Rosenhaus contract that smells like $16 million a year, but in reality is two years and $30 million, or two years and $25 million, right? 12 or $13 million a year. But on paper, it looks like 15 or $16 million a year so that the AAV kind of ranks up there with the rest of the safeties that have just re-upped. That's the Rosenhaus special. That's how he got Tyree killed a $30 million a year. That's how he gets a lot of his contracts. They're, they're backloaded. There's a lot of fluff built in. I'm not knocking him for it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an approach from a marketability standpoint that works well for him. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the player himself is not making the cash that's being marketed to us. So I don't believe that Jordan Poyer should earn $35 million over the next two years. Um, you want to tell me it's between 24 and 26. All right. You know, 12, 13. That's about what the math says because he is grabbing the ball out of the air. He, his coverage numbers are outstanding. They're in the 50s in terms of catch percentages. He's, uh, he's doing a little bit of everything right now, even at his age. So 
I do think he belongs well north of where he is right now, which is seven, eight million a year. Micah Hyde re up for nine and a half at age 31 last year to redo his deal. You know that's where Bean's going to be thinking, right? Can we just keep that train rolling? You know, we'll do you at 10 and a half, then Poyer, and then Micah Hyde might need 11. And we'll just keep going a little bit of inchworms instead of stretching out too far. I don't know that Rosenau stands for that, right? Especially after they accepted the incentive restructure. My guess is there was a wink, wink built into that that says, look, we'll build in some not likely incentives right now. We think we're going to hit them, so you're going to pay anyway. But, oh, by the way, next February, when we're talking about next year, this thing's going to have to look and smell like a top-of-the-market contract. So, again, do I think it should be 16 a year? No. And from a cash perspective, I don't believe it will be. But it may have to smell like one from a Rosenhaus perspective to, to get this thing done and to keep him in Buffalo. And I think that's something. And by the way, Stefan Diggs' contract kind of looks like that. There's, there's been some, you know, Dawson Knox contract is certainly a little flimsier than the, than the overall numbers look. So I think Brandon Bean has been flexible in that regard. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll sell it. We'll sell it big. As long as it, by the, at the end of the day, I'm not dealing out cash and, uh, and losing cap flexibility with my first two years. So what's good for the goose, right? What's good for the goose here can, can work for both sides. That's my very, very educated, uneducated guess here with Jordan Poyer. Do I think he walks? I don't. No. I, I have a hard time finding any player outside of Devin Singletary that may just flat out leave this roster. And the reason, only reason I say that about Singletary is that they have drafted his replacement in James Cook. And James Cook now has, you know, limited carries over the next 10 weeks or so to prove that he can be an, apps, an option to replace Devin Singletary over the next two to three years on his rookie contract. And by the way, if not, Singletary is a transition tag candidate. Singletary is also a three-year, $15 million contract in our system. I think all those are worthy of keeping the player. So if you have to keep the player, you keep the player. If you want to upgrade it to one of those, you know, McCaffrey might be on the market. Zeke Elliott might be on the market. Saquon Barkley might be on the market. You could upgrade, but it's going to cost you. Or you could just keep this guy in Singletary and cost control him and cap control him and, and, and work him in tandem with James Cook, something you've now done now for the full season in 2022, and just keep that train rolling. Do I think it's good to keep everybody all the time? No. But in this case, especially if the Bills don't do this, don't get to the finish line. There is a path, and I'll round it back to square one here. There is a path where all 25 expected starters are back on this roster in 2023. All right, let's bring in Cousin Dan for the last part of this episode. Talk a little bit more baseball. Dan, I'll, I'll start with the positive, and then a little crazy, and then the topic I've been avoiding for 40 minutes here. St. Louis Cardinals lose. That means, I think, three of their long timers are done. Do we, do we, should we start with Wainwright? Do you think Wainwright's done? I feel like he's uh, being included in this conversation and he's kind of standing out there, but he's also saying like, wait a minute, I, I could probably make eight more million and do this again. Right? Yeah. I think he's has the best chance to, to return. I, I wouldn't count it out that he, he kind of rides off with the other two, but yeah. um, I think he, I, I think he has at least another year, maybe if not two more as like a, I mean, you know, I don't know if he's going to be the ace that he's been to that staff in recent years, but, um, yeah, they just, they're so damn injured all the time. That rotation, I feel like they constantly need him because <laughs> he, he can stay healthy. 
Uh, exactly. Obviously, so Pujols is the the breadwinner here. Um, you know, the hell of, we've talked about it quite a bit here. It was just a hell of a swan song. Gets a hit in his last at bat. You know, not the not the postseason they were looking for. There's no question about it. But this is the second all time most earnings in the history of baseball behind A Rod. Three hundred and forty one million dollars. Obviously, that's going to be destroyed soon by some of these massive contracts that live out there. Just your your overall thoughts on Pujols. Is it is it a situation where we should be kind of disappointed because of the Angels run, because of that contract that is just, you know, one of those things we look at now when baseball is, my God, this has to stop, right? It's just, there's a lot of that. And I think 2022 fixed some of that, though. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I mean, I think it's right to be disappointed in terms of the end of his career compared to what we saw in the beginning in St. Louis. Um, But at at the same time, I mean, we do point to that as like one of those landmark contracts of a guy that got paid for what he had done previously in his career. But we're sort of seeing it play out on the back end that maybe if the Angels did a little bit better of a job surrounding him with talent in those years, let me back that up, not say surrounding him with talent, but just overall team construction, doing a better job. Um, maybe those twilight years would have been way better than um, what we, we got to see. So I think it's right to feel a little bit disappointed, but at the same time, um, I think it's also right to, again, blame the angels for kind of wasting um, some prime years of a player's uh, of a historic player's career. I went back because it's been so long and I just wanted to understand, especially with this judge situation, I want to understand where that pool hole situation ended up. Do you know the initial offer or the final offer that the Cardinals made him before he left? If I told you that he signed for 10 years, 240 million with the angels, what was the final offer from the Cardinals? I believe it was a term issue, if I'm not mistaken, rather than the amount, but I could have that wrong. Eight years, 200 million. Two years less, 40 million less. That's what the Angels meant to to Albert Pujols. I hate it now, don't you? I hate it. Because it's a perfect offer from the Cardinals. Perfect. He would have been 39 years old. Yeah, there would have been injuries. This foot stuff would have happened no matter where he was. Let's be perfectly honest about this. Um, but, you know, the last two years, not, not this one notwithstanding, which is just ridiculous. But if you tell me that he walks away at age 39 after, you know, 200 million after 100 million, still making, by the way, 320 some million dollars in Major League Baseball, we would have had the same conversation about Albert Pujols. See, in the Hall of Fame, it was a hell of a run. You did it with one team, it's the best, right? But forty million in two years less. Does Aaron Judge say no to forty million in two years less right now for the Yankees? Um, no. I I think that we've had this conversation yeah. before. But, I think that, but I know it's in context. You know, I mean, the, yeah, for sure. Because I think Pujols regrets every second of it. I I'd, I'd probably agree with that, and that I I think that's why any. Uh, any opposing offer to the Yankees will probably have to blow, yeah. blow it out of the water unless things really break down in negotiations um, towards the end here. But I, I mean, I think he wants to be there. Yeah. I, he, they want him there. They just have to figure out the money and get, and get there. But yeah, I don't think a couple mil 
or a year or two here or there will make will be what makes the difference here what's funny is I, my math and, and my and my brain you know my head has been saying eight for 300 all this time which is basically just the, the cap adjusted version of eight for 200 for Pujols, right i mean we're just we're 10 years down literally 10 years down the road here with a different player but a similar player and it might just take an extra hundred million dollars for the Yankees to keep him. Whether or not he does it, we'll see. But fascinating how these two situations are kind of syncing up, one at the end and one in the beginning. But um, Yadier Molina is the other Cardinal to walk away here. Dan, you, you caught in your lifetime. I know you've, you watched the position closely. Just speak to Yadier Molina because, you know, there's no, there's no fanfare right now. You know, he's not popping balls out. He's not even producing much anymore. And he hasn't been for quite a while here. But this guy is one of the guys, right? I mean, this is an all-timer. He's the second highest earning catcher in the history behind, oh, I forget now. Oh, Joe Maurer, of course. You know, and Maurer made 70 million more than Molina's 163 million. But Molina's a lot more than home runs and, and, and dollars, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. He, I mean, a ton has been said about him. He's, he just has... He's incredible defensively, uh, pretty much every defensive aspect of the game, framing, pitch calling, um, in-game adjustments, just being able to handle a staff. Um, he, it's, it, he's probably one of the last true everyday catchers yeah. um, that we'll see for, I mean, people will be, you know, have starting catching roles, but it won't be to the degree we've seen him um, or, or the overall length of time. Um, we see a lot of guys shift a dh role later in their career so <clears throat> do the marlins and or royals reach out to him right now for their coaching vacancies oh i, I think it's probably a little too early i, I don't i don't know if it's got to do some I, bench I would, work stuff first yeah i would think there's a little bit of marination time there and i think if this is it for him he is going to probably want to take a little yeah. little uh time for himself after after a long arduous career so i'd love to see him with that marlin staff though you know, just the, the rapport yeah, he could build with those young kids, those young arms. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a manager in the future. Yeah, maybe even just a pitching coach, right? No. Um, so we think Rainwright comes back. He's made $175 million, 12th among pitchers all time, which that one snuck up on me. It just doesn't seem like a high-priced guy, but I guess longevity will do it. I think here's, here's what I think about Rainwright. Um, he stays away from it all. To like what? Valentine's Day? Let's, he lets the Cardinals get to camp, see how they look. If they're an arm short, maybe he's considering it. If they look okay, maybe it takes an injury to get him back in the game or something. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe it's not like a slam dunk that he wants to return, but if the Cardinals end up needing him, he'll be there. Right? I mean, that could happen, right? Yeah, that's probably the way it would go, I would assume. I mean, they, like we've talked about, they kind of, need him so i I don't want to say they're just going to have like an open textbook or or open timeline for him but um i i yeah let's just let's just say the demand will be like the demand for him pitcher will be there specifically the cardinals demand for him will probably be there um so he can kind of take a little bit of time with the decision slow play it um exactly like you laid out see where they see where they are in a couple months from now um, and make that decision. But I, I, I tend to think that he will be back, um, in St. Louis on like a, on like a, even if it's just a one year modern. Sure. I, there's probably an offer already on the table for him, honestly, from St. Louis. Um, last thing, and, and I, I don't want to glaze over this. 
I know a lot of people have asked me specifically on Twitter and through email about the personal services contract for Pujols. I don't have any thoughts on it because that stuff is so lock and key. And by the way, now illegal. <laughs> you can't do that anymore and build that into a contract as part of the incentive. Um, he's got to honor it. You know, it's 10 million. Maybe they just buy him out of it eventually just because it's a, it's a weird, awkward situation. But why wouldn't you want to market that guy right now, you know, and utilize his charm and, and obviously this 2022 season and, and piggyback off it for baseball pr- purposes. I don't know what their plan is for him. I, I don't think it's any kind of broadcasting or coaching or, you know, my guess is it's just, uh, you know, he's going to show up to some galas and some events and some, some, some player oriented stuff and maybe impart some knowledge and, and bump some elbows, but it, it is what it is. It's part of the contract. He's going to, he's going to honor it, which is good by him. And I don't think it's going to affect his legacy with the Cardinals. I know a lot of people are saying he can't retire a Cardinal because he's going to be, you know, hogtied to the angels. Th- that's all going to get figured out. Let's just stop. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, baseball is going to figure this out. They're not going to screw that up. Right. Or are you hearing otherwise? No, no, I wouldn't think so. I, I assume he's coming out publicly saying he'll honor that because yeah, good the angels you. don't, well, yes. And the angels like probably don't have a huge intention of like blowing, you know, exactly. <laughs> milking that. Like they'll probably exactly like you just said, yeah, they'll use he's got to show up to one time. event a year and yeah, exactly. Right. It's not yeah. Be and a big undertaking. And you would think that the MLB in general wants him involved to some degree in his future. You know, he he's yeah. never been like now throughout all of this, we've kind of heard some stories about him with the media. Like he's good, not great with the media, but he's a really great locker room presence. And for younger players in the league, yeah. um, you know especially who else was like this Barry Bonds and he ended up, he ended up being a pitching coach in baseball. So, <laughs> you know, anything's possible, Dan, anything's possible. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's why, like, you're just kind of, I, I don't even necessarily know why that got stirred up at the time. Like, you know, yeah. why that's kind of coming out right now, which is a little bit curious, but um, I assume it's just kind of like a mutual wink, wink. Yeah. Like we'll use you when needed. And he'll, if he, he doesn't says, have this season, are they just ripping that part of it up? It's a good question. I mean, if he just, you know, now we hear that he was considering just walking away, not, mm-hmm. you know, a couple months ago before the whole card, you know, in the middle of the whole Cardinals thing. Um, it's a, there's a chance there's a lot like less fanfare for the end of his career right. um, than what we saw. So there's a chance that um, both sides would just not want him around. Yeah. It's a good point. I, I don't, I don't, by I guess way, I don't know the nuances. David of Wright has had a personal services contract with the Mets ever since he left because he had to leave early per his uh, back injury. I literally have not seen the, the guy once yeah. since he retired. Literally. He didn't show up to the all-timers. He is so far away from this roster, from this franchise right now. And I, that's his prerogative. But my point is the personal services stuff is just smoke and mirrors. <laughs> it is what it is. Maybe you got to write a book or whatever the hell it is. It's nothing worth, uh, you know, spending too much time on. So let's move off it and let's get on to the Yankees because I think the Yankees are going to be a problem in your household soon as the, <laughs> they meet the Guardians starting Tuesday in the ALDS. But we have a little bit of, of fun to poke at them now, right? Because this Aroldis Chapman stuff is the best. And I couldn't wait to talk to you about this on the air. He misses a Friday workout. He has no reason for doing so. They leave him off the ALDS roster. My first question to you is this, is he done? Is this literally him retiring from baseball? It's, it's a 
bit curious. I, I'm going to say no, but like I, I want, maybe I'm wrong on this, but from what I have seen, it was very much up in the air. If he was even going to make the roster. And some, I think he and, found out he didn't and said ex- F you Yankees. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and maybe he knows his time there is done. I mean, I think he still has a place in the league. I don't, Mm-hmm. So like, I, I still think somebody will give him a chance as a closer as like a big name, former top end closer. I think somebody, you know, one of these lower tier teams, everybody's always looking for someone on the back end. So I could totally see somebody, um, you know, like a smaller market or something, giving him a prime prime role like that. So I, no, I don't think he's done. Okay. I, I personally think that, um, yeah, he saw the writing on the wall and just said, well, why am I going to fly from Miami to New York for them to tell me that I didn't make the roster, you know? But- All right. Two more questions on him and then we'll move on to the worst part ever. Um, career earnings, Aroldis Chapman, Dan, what's your guess over 13 seasons? Mm. Relief pitcher basically the whole time. Came up as a starter. He had a cup of coffee as a starter and then the whole world figured out he wasn't a starter. Uh, I don't know, 130 mil total. Close, 149, 149. So any kind of, you know, even minimum contract next year is going to push him past 150, which is pretty impressive for a closer. Uh, Here's my second, my final question on this. What's harder to believe? That he fell off the cliff this fast this year or that he's actually 33 and a half years old? (laughs) (laughs) Because he has looked 45 for five years. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know when we, the cliff comes hard for these type of players. Um, like when your life is throwing, you know, triple digits with a wipeout slider and you suddenly lose a lot of that velocity. Um, yeah, I've heard yeah. quite a bit about how the, the elimination of the sticky stuff was a factor, right? A major factor in his career going downward. So might not just be a Garrett Cole thing, right? We'll see. I, I'm, I'm skeptical. I know you've, you have confidence. I'm skeptical he gets another job, Dan. I know everybody needs a bullpen arm at some point in time. I, I think there are other arms out there is my point. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's done. I think when you quit like this, a lot of GMs just turn their head and say, no, thank you. Yep, that's fair. Totally fair. Okay, let's get to the freaking Mets. Um, I don't even want to talk about the series. I thought the Padres played excellent. I, I loved if the Mets were the Padres this weekend, I would be <laughs> flying to New York for every game of this next series. That's how much I loved what the Padres were this year or, or this weekend, the pitching, the swagger, the, the, I mean, yesterday they, they played small ball, right. And manufactured six runs. It was just really impressive. The Mets have been downturning for, for a month here. So this is, you know, was somewhat inevitable, whether it was this weekend or against the Dodgers this week. So. It sucks, but what sucks more is this was their all-in moment, and you're going to hear that a lot right now, but we have the facts. We've talked about it. You and I have done work on the free agent pieces, the option pieces. There's a, there's a very real world where they're like the third best team in the National League East next year, right? I mean, the Phillies are, are yes, the Phillies, the, right? The Braves are yep. definitely still the Braves, and if the Mets don't retain and or replace serious positions here that we'll talk about, they could be going way down instantly. For sure. There's a lot of um, uncertainty going forward for, uh, for that team. And I, we've kind of, we've kind of looked at it, but I think a lot of people just 
see the high end pitching, the couple big yeah. stars in Lindor and Lindor and Alonzo. But um, I, yeah, it kind of feels thin, thin after it. Really so. thin. Yeah, really thin. And by the way, you know, when your top three pitchers don't produce, <laughs> it gets even thinner. So let's talk about it because it's not just Jacob DeGrom might leave for the, for the Braves, even though that's going to be, you know, much of what we talk about if that's the case. He's still going to opt out. So that's, that's obviously point number one to make here. Jacob DeGrom is going to opt out of his $30.5 million player option. He's going to hit the, the open market, whatever that means. I'm sure there's already an offer on the table from Steve Cohen, the Mets owner. He's going to say no until he finds one from the Braves and finds one from the Giants and finds one from the Blue Jays, whoever the hell is in, right? The Yankees. He's going to say no until he's got 10 offers in his hand and then he's going to figure it out. So I, we've talked about it. I think we both think there's a real chance that he leaves and a, and a good chance that he stays. That's probably where we stand on that. Here's the other names. Chris Bassett's going to opt out of his mutual option. He's a 20 million plus pitcher in this league. Brandon Nimmo, the leadoff hitter and starting center fielder, is an unrestricted free agent. He might be the odd man out in this entire conversation. Taiwan Walker, the other starting pitcher, you know, the number four starting pitcher, has a player option that he's most definitely going to opt out of. It's only 6 million. Carlos Carrasco is an unrestricted free agent. I've now handed you <laughs> three out of the five starting pitchers, Dan that are 100% going to be on the open market come December 1st. What happens with the Mets there? If we're talking Scherzer and a, and a bunch of kids, David Peterson, Tyler McGill, and the field, are they, are they going to just massively overpay for DeGrom to make sure he doesn't walk out the door? Or is it about taking the $45 million a year it might take to keep him and turning that into two you know, really good free agent pitchers? Well, that's the thing. I, I don't even know if you're going to, we're kind of getting to a point where our two guys that get paid 20 mil going to be even like quote, really good, you know, pitcher. We're, we're, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what they do. I feel like one of those pitchers could be Chris Bassett. You know, you could just retain Chris Bassett at 22 million a year or 25 million right. a year. And that could be, I guess, 40% of your puzzle. But you still have Taiwan Walker and Jacob deGrom as voids on your, in your rotation. And the reason I'm focusing on this is, you know me, this is, this is how you build your team. You, you have to have four out of five you know, starting pitchers that are worth a damn to, to even consider being in the divisional races. So I, it's, it's a lot of holes to fill. You know? And I don't think Carlos Rodon is, is choosing the Mets. And I don't think you know, Noah Syndergaard is even considering coming back to the Mets and, you know, you can, you can go down the list. If you don't retain these guys, is there a plan B, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know what they do. It's, um, do you just run it back? Uh, man? Do you just overpay for everybody and hope that your owner has a, the blank check he says he has, you know? <clears throat> yeah. You, you might have to, since you already have the other, you know, seemingly a number of other pieces in place. Um, yeah that might be the way to do it on the flip side. Maybe Steve Cohen as a businessman looks at what he just paid and the return on investment was not very, very deep. And <laughs> he maybe got he three just, home games out of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I don't think that's the way this goes. Just kind of pull back and say, let's go with what we have. And they try and backfill those positions with, um, like former injured guy, like, like yeah. Taiwan Walker was a really great addition. Um, maybe if they try and use like the Giants model and kind of identify some of those guys um, and then just pay, you know, 
if if you lock up DeGrom and Scherzer on the front end and then just pay a number of those guys and hope they work out. But I know what you mean. I, I, I'm not even sure Tyler McGill is a starter going no. forward. He or might David be... Peterson. <laughs> yeah. So that's there, man, that it's, it's going to be interesting to see really? where they go. That's for sure. Really interesting. I mean, yeah, you might be overpaying for Nate Valdi at some point in this off season, if you're the Mets, but um, look, it's not just the rotation. I just gave you three major pieces of the rotation that are, there's actually four, right? It's the Grom Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, four out of the five notable starting pitchers have massive question marks with contracts over the next two months. If we switch to the bullpen, the, the three most important players in their bullpen, Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo, Adam Adovino, all unrestricted free agents. So four out of five starters and your top three bullpen arms are 100% question marks contractually over the next couple of months. We just don't see teams like this do, you know, you know, fix this in one winter. You know, it just doesn't happen. No matter how rich your owner is, no matter how good or attractive your team and market is, this just seems like too much. So here, I'll just, I'll just give you this question. Let's say they, they're able to retain the ground, as you mentioned, and then they're going to backfill from there. Is it more important to have three A or B starters or two starters? and a viable seven, eight, nine. Where do you need to be deeper right now in baseball? Well, I mean, I would just prefer the depth period rather than just like one pitcher that you're relying on. And you I know, just think knows if they get these seven positions being up for free agency is too much to, to fill with any kind of, you know, you're not filling these seven players with seven players who can do what they do. You're not doing it. You're going to have to, you know, go down in some degree here. Yeah, I agree with that. And do, is this a major pullback? I I don't, I don't know, but I, like you said, I don't know how they, you can just write a check for Bassett, write a check for DeGrom, Diaz, Mm -hmm. but even the other guys where you're not really, I don't know if they're going to fill those spots internally. Exactly. That's exactly right. So let's do this. Let's play GM. Am I paying DeGrom three years, 45 million a year? I mean, the smart thing is, is no, I, I like okay. from a, okay. from a roster construction. No, but I mean, I think. But you're, you're the they, Mets GM, right? So you're in their exact shoes right now. You've got Lindor under contract. You know, Pete's going to cost you another 350. You've got Starling Marte under contract. It's, you know, that's a bigger deal than some people think. You can maybe move off the McCann contract, but th- th- there's some money built into this. In, in other words, you can't just rip this entire Band-Aid off. There's going to be ton, uh, you know, a lot of payroll sitting there whether you want it to be or not. So in, in this current iteration of the Mets heading into December, three for 45 a year for DeGrom, does it make sense? No. Okay, no. you say no. Do you retain then Bassett to be the number two behind Scherzer at 25 a year? I, 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 I want to also say no, but <laughs> you, you have, you have to do it at some point. And if you're, yeah. if you're backfilling any of these spots with through free agency, you're going to get up there in price tag real quick. So whether it's Nate Evaldi, whether it's Chris Bassett, right. whether it's Tyler Malley, who could be, you know, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. You're, you're going to pay either way. So. And, and 25 um, is it, just going to be the going rate. If 22 was the going rate the last couple of years, it's now up to 25. You know what I mean? That's just what it is for the number two right. guy on your roster. Right. So. Right. And, and like, just to like frame it through a look at my rotation as a whole. I mean, I really like Chris Bassett, but I really like him as your number three pitcher. <laughs> if he's all of a sudden, you know what? So did a he. number two. He was not this. shy about saying that out loud either, Dan. He loved the protection of Scherzer and DeGrom ahead of him. Loved it. Right. But then all, all of a sudden, if he's injected into like your seeming to, you know, seems to be your number two pitcher yeah. behind a 40 year old Max Scherzer who missed some time on the disabled list. It's, it's again, real thin, real quick. Okay. And are you paying Edwin Diaz 20 million a year? Um, I mean, I no, but they probably have to. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a contender and you have a bona fide elite closer, I don't, I I mean, they're going to turn around and go sign Kenley Jansen for, you know, 70% of that contract. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? You might as well just pay, pay Diaz. And again, we're talking about a billionaire though. So it's not my, it's not my money. No, I, I, I'm, I think I'm with you here. I, I do think DeGrom leaves the Mets, which is just heartbreaking to say out loud. But I do think building for depth and using that money for depth, if, if it's possible, right? If it's possible to go and get two or three new starters is the way to go. We'll see. Fascinating team that we, this was kind of, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall in, in August and September as this team started to flounder. But still a decent postseason. I'll be rooting for your guardians, man. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right, my thanks to Dan. Not exactly the conversation I wanted to be having, but it's here. It happens. We get through it. It's still Bill's season. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrek. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. 